It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our Sunday service on Sunday, May 30th. And we feature our special guest speaker, good friend of ours, Doug Anderson. Doug is the national coordinator for Vineyard USA and uh, has also played an interesting role in mine and Dina's life over the years as we've even looked into church planning. So we're fortunate to have him share this message with us today called Sin, Anxiety, and Grace. So thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web for resources Monday through Friday uh, to help you in your spiritual life. And I hope you enjoy this. Thanks. Let me just say it's just really exciting to be here. I'm making a mess. Um, like Crispin said, uh, we've known each other for a long time, and I think from the almost from the first time we met him, I just knew God had His hand on Crispin and Dina to plant. Uh, but you know that's something that God had to work out with them, and and uh, so we're we're really excited about what's happening here, and. Uh, I just want you to know we really, really, really believe in Crispin and Dina. Um, there's a depth of maturity that somebody his age normally doesn't have. He has a passion um, for the lost, and he has a passion for pastoring people, and Dina has a heart for that, as you guys already know. But uh, um, anyway, we're just really excited about what's happening here. We pray for you guys all the time, and... Uh, uh, just looking forward to see see what happens. So, uh, before I get into what I I have to share this morning, also just wanted to say a couple things. Uh, just it's just great. Our good old friends. Not that you're old, but it's good long time friends. Floyd and Ethel Gillis. Uh, F- Floyd and I go way back to seventy three, seventy two, probably. You know. Um, you know, that, that season, uh, you know, about, I don't know, probably five or six year period or something like that in the early seven seventies was just a real sovereign move of the spirit. It's not something that anybody decided to, Hey, let's make this thing happen. Let's, you just don't decide to have revival, but it was a time where God was just pouring out his spirit in extra measure and you, you'd sneeze, you know, and like people would come to know him it just things were happening all the time and it was just a really a fun time and it wasn't just in Hammond I think it was it was all over this area I don't know and Slidell was probably going on too you know yeah you know and well it was happening it, it happened in California it was just it was the Jesus movement part of the charismatic movement there's just a lot of stuff going on but we got to be part of that in Hammond and it was just a fun fun time and we started this uh Actually, Floyd had come to know the Lord, and a friend of his, a guy named Philip, had come to know the Lord. So me and this other guy decided to start having a Friday night prayer meeting. And there was like, I don't know, three or four or five of us, five of us to start off with. And, uh, and you know, we were just, we'd just get together on Friday night and pray till sometimes one or two in the morning. And then, 
you know, slowly but surely other people started coming. And then we started going to Southeastern and college kids started coming and my parents got involved. And in that little house, and well, it wasn't that little house, but in that house in Hamlin, sometimes we'd stuff 100 people in, into the living room and just, just would have a great time. But like I say, it was just, it was just a sovereign move of God's spirit and a lot of great things were happening. So we have a lot of old friends. Judy was part of that and it's great seeing Judy and it's Joe, right? Joe, which I've just met recently. Uh, and so it's just this area, when I come here, when I visit here, it's just a very, very special time. Uh, so anyway, it's great seeing you guys. Uh, also wanted to, my wife left, uh, my wife Marcia, she was sitting next to me here. Uh, we met at that prayer meeting, as a matter of fact, and uh, uh, decided to get married because we loved each other and uh, it kind of worked out over the years. And one of the fruits of that is my youngest daughter here, Ashley. Uh, we have four kids, and she's the youngest. And, you know, just in addition to being my daughter, she's just one of my best friends, and that's a that's a special thing that parents and kids don't always get to have. And so uh, we're both musicians and like to do stuff together. She's my fishing buddy. Although she's got a boyfriend now, and she doesn't hang out with me as much, and I'm kind of really <laughs> bummed about that. And so anyway. Uh, so anyway, this morning... Uh, See, I did come here to talk about something. Uh, I kind of want to talk to you about three things. Uh, anxiety, sin, and grace. I know you're thinking one of those is all right, but, you know, uh, the other two I'm not so sure about. Um, and it doesn't seem like these things really necessarily go together, but just kind of hang with me till the end because we're going to be kind of going over here and then over here, and, and hopefully it all get tied together in the end. And I, and I just want to say this. This understanding that I want to share today has transformed my life. Um, and and it's going to be one of those things. It's not so much a sermon as, as it is a teaching. And, uh, uh, you know, as you grasp this, and, and this is going to be one of those things that probably like a week from now, some part of it will click. You know, it probably won't all click this morning. But I uh, just encourage you to kind of give it a listen, think through it. Uh, I'm going to be taking kind of some sideways looks at at some things that we we th- probably thought we really had down, and uh, but it's one of those things that I don't I don't live in this all the time. I wish I did, but I under I understand this now, and so when I'm walking in anxiety or I'm wrestling with sin, it helps me kind of like step back and dig down deep and look at what's going on, and it gives an opportunity for God to come in and. And do some things. So, uh, so I'm just going to kind of share this with you, and hopefully it'll it'll benefit you as it has me and others that I know. But before I get started, I just want to make sure I'm kind of talking to the right crowd. Um, there's like like uh, you know that you're a group that could relate to what I have to share. Uh, is there anybody here that ever wrestles with anxiety? Okay, good. That's good. So, right place. Are you know? Are you able to kind of like live a chill life, or sometimes? Everyone, oh, good, we got one. Um, walking in perfect peace all the time. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's good. Um, what about sinners? Any <laughs> sinners? Got a few sinners. Great. <laughs> I love hanging out with sinners. You know, I really, really. Uh, so let me ask you: how, How's the whole sin management thing working out for you guys? You've got it all under control, got it under containment, or is it more like the BP containment thing, you know, it's, uh, 
You keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, but it's going to never work out. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I, I know there was a reason for this, and I just can't remember it this morning. Uh, a couple of years ago, I started studying sin, uh, and, and so I've become somewhat of an expert on sin, as some have told me. Um, mainly just by looking in the mirror, right? You know? uh, but I was doing a lot of reading on it, and, uh, and, and I don't know, I just being a pastor for whatever, 30-something years, uh, you know, you've seen it all, or at least you think you've seen it all. Uh, you know, nothing really surprises you anymore when you interact with people and, and the struggles that they go uh, go through. But, but you know, I, I just started kind of like focusing and reading and studying a lot in this area, and it's been very enlightening for me. And I want to start this morning by reading a text I've got to keep moving this out because even these glasses aren't helping me that much. I've got to, uh, um, because, you know, you might not think on the surface these things like anxiety and sin. It's kind of like, well, those things don't necessarily go together. But in the Bible, there's a really strong connection between anxiety and sin. And I want to kind of unpack that a little bit. And I just want to start by by uh, reading a passage of Scripture out of Luke 12. And this is, this is I know Crispin um, has been talking about giving and money and things like that over the last few weeks. And uh, I didn't necessarily on purpose tie this together. It just kind of, it's just kind of interesting to me that, this particular passage that we're going to read, the context of it was Jesus was uh, teaching about money, you know, to to uh, to the crowd. Which, if you look at the Gospels, it's one of the it's one of the main things Jesus talked about money. And you think, well, was he kind of like you know f- you know driven or focused by money? And it's kind of like, well, not really because he didn't really need it, but but he knew what it does to us. And so I think it's one of the things that he talked about a lot. So, so anyway, uh, if we look in, in uh, Luke 12, and you can kind of follow along. I'm not going to read all of it verbatim. Some of it I will. Uh, so Jesus was teaching about money, and then someone in the crowd said, Teacher, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's kind of like, you know, he's not sharing the inheritance. Well, you tell him to do that. And then Jesus kind of replied and said, you know, who appointed me judge uh, of you guys, you know? I'm not an arbiter for you. But then he kind of went, you know, as Jesus does, went right for the heart of the matter. And he says, well, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in, in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told him a story, as he often did. And uh, the story it went like this. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, and so then God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get all the stuff that you prepared for yourself? And then Jesus said this, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. And then comes a a more familiar passage. But, you know, I've read this passage I'm about to read uh, for years and years and years. I never until recently understood the kind of the context that this was in. This the story of this guy saying, Hey, will you tell my brother to share his stuff with me? You know, and and, uh, Jesus tells the story. And then he comes back and gives the bottom line to it all and he he said to his disciples 
Therefore, you know, in light of all this, this that I've just been talking about, I tell you, do not worry or don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And this, you know, that kind of strikes me funny because when we think back to the people he was talking to, you don't think about those kind of people being conscious about what they wear. I mean, they wore like robes and togas. And I mean, let's get what, what were they worried about? You know, it's, I mean, today you understand that, but it's kind of interesting that Jesus was saying that don't worry about what you wear, you know. And he says, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. Uh, they don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much valuable are you than the birds? So he's talking about our value to him in, in this, which later that will be kind of key in understanding this whole anxiety thing. Who of you, by worrying or being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Or why are you anxious about the rest? Now consider the lilies, uh, lilies of the field. They don't grow, or they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And don't set your heart, or don't, you know, that's another way of saying, don't let the center of everything you do be on what you eat or drink. Don't worry, don't be anxious about it. For the pagans are those who, who don't have faith in God. Um, they run after such things as this. But your father knows you need him. But, but seek his kingdom. Let the kingdom be the center of your focus, not these other things. And these things will be given to you as well. And then he said, so don't be afraid or don't be anxious. Don't. Don't worry. Don't let the center of your heart be focused on these things, little flock. <laughs> For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The father's pleased to give you the kingdom. He delights in giving you the kingdom. What's the kingdom? His blessings. His favor. Healing. Deliverance from oppression. Deliverance from depression. Opening the eyes of the blind. It's the future kingdom of God and all the benefits. The Father delights in giving those to you. You know, it's kind of funny how we have this the thing that God wants to withhold from us unless we act a certain way or we do something that maybe he likes and then he'll throw us a bone or something, you know. No, he delights in giving us his kingdom. Uh, so, uh, so, so there, there's a text I kind of want us to, to think about. And again, at first glance, you know, we don't see a real close connection between anxiety and sin. And one of the reasons for this is because over time, for some reason, the whole idea of sin has become mainly know, known by what we do and what we don't do, right? You you do a certain act and it's a sin, or you don't do something and it's a sin. And this is kind of the mentality that we've, we've developed over the year. And so with this mentality of sin, the role of the preacher uh, or the pastor is to make sure that the congregation stays in a state of guilt <laughs> by reminding them that when they do this or don't do this, that they're sinning, 
And, uh, you know, our role is to help you manage your, your sin by pointing it out and providing you opportunities of repentance. I mean, anybody relate to that? I mean, it, it, for those of that grow, grown up in the church, has that not been your experience? Well, today I kind of want us to think about sin in what I would say is a more biblical way. Now, to be sure, sin is definitely a biblical concept. It's mentioned over 700 times in the Bible. Um, but I think we have this kind of mindset that colors the way we read the scriptures about sin. And, and I'm going to kind of try to turn it on its ear this morning. And don't, don't freak out yet. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, that there's no sin. Just kind of hang with me on this one. Well, let's just go ahead and ask that question. So what is this thing we call sin? Now that I've got your curiosity up. Well, the funny thing is, is that over time we, we've ended up with these lists of sin. I mean, in your mind, just go ahead and, and take inventory. You just start listing in your head sins. When you think about sins, what are they? You know. Uh, but what's interesting is that over time, culturally, these lists change, Right? How many of you have heard your parents or grandparents talking about not being able to play cards or not being able to dance? or, or not, And you're thinking, okay, now how do we get there? Because, you know, it clearly says in the Bible, if you dance, you're going to hell. <laughs> well, how do we get there? Uh, so we have these kind of, you know, you've got the seven deadly sins. You know, uh, Actually, in the 1800s, there was a preacher, Charles Finney. Anybody heard of Charles Finney? He preached against tea, drinking tea, that sinly habit of drinking tea. Now, there was cultural reasons for it. Uh, they just weren't so much biblical. Uh, I mean, in the sense of it, the Bible doesn't say, say that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, tea, cards, dancing, smoking, drinking, so forth and so on. Uh, some have recently asked, is smoking a sin? And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, this is this is... When we think this way, we've got our list, right? One preacher said, well, it may not send you to hell, but it, you'll smell like you've been there. Um. Uh, anyway, uh, so let me, so me kind of uh, talk about sin in a different way. Part of our problem is that we think about sins rather than thinking about our sin. Um. And I think when we think about it as sins, we kind of end up getting on the wrong track. When we think more about our sins rather than our sin, uh, because I think this is definitely a case of missing the forest for the trees. You know, we're so focused on these little sins that we, we miss the whole picture of our sin. And let me tell you, it's a huge thing to miss in understanding our relationship with God. So let me explain that a little bit. We have laws, we have, you know, rules, we have codes, uh, commandments that are kind of, they kind of help us uh, avoid committing sins. Or they help us identify our sins when we commit them, right? Because we have these things. Yesterday, Crispin and I were driving around here, and we came to, we were driving down there, and we came to the end of the road. You could either turn right or left. And I said, which way? And he said, left. So I turned left. And he goes, no, when the light turns green. And sure enough, I just ran right through the red light, you know. And I knew I had sinned because Crispin pointed it out to me, you know, right there. Which he does regularly. It's a good friend. He always points out my sin. Um, so, you know, if we didn't have laws, if there was no lights, we wouldn't have known that we 
we broke something, right? And so uh, that, that's kind of, you know, how these things help us. Um, but what is helpful to understand is that, is that sins are merely expressions of our sin. Our sin is the condition where we find ourselves estranged or relationally separated from God. And when we start thinking about it in relational terms, it brings on a whole different feeling, doesn't it? Our relationship with our Creator is broken, and this fundamental break causes other breaks, such as alienation from other people and even alienation from ourselves. Um, And this this brokenness, this alienation from God, uh, breaks the very source of our life. And it subjects us to death. And, and here's, here's the beginning of a connection. It, it breaks the source of our life and, and, and subjects us to death and to anxiety, the anxiety of non-being. So it's in this condition, this situation of estrangement, relational separation from God that we then act. And our actions are responding to our brokenness. And these are our sins. And see, this is very helpful when you think about this because the way we act, the things we do and we don't do, if they're functions of of our relationship with God then the focus isn't so much on these things that we do or don't do, other than the fact that they're symptoms of a greater greater issue. And if all we try to do is manage the what we do and what we don't do, we never get to the real issue. It, it's like the vine that's separated from, or the branch that's separated from the vine, whatever, and the life's gone, and, and we're, we're trying to deal with what the condition of these grapes that are withering up and we never deal with the real condition of our brokenness. Um, and so where we've gotten it wrong so often is, uh, and therefore, you know, we find ourselves living under the weight of condemnation and false guilt, it, is that we see our sins more as disobedience to rules or laws Instead of, you know, an expression of estrangement or broken relationship. I think that's why Paul said, you know, when he said everything that is not faith is sin. You read that and go, you know, I sin all the time then because I don't live in faith. Well, he's talking about faith being our trust in in God and our relationship that's restored. And so, you know, anything that we do that's, you know, that's not out of of that uh, reconciliation with God is, is sin because... We're not restored. It's living in this condition of sin. Um, that's why Jesus said the whole law is summed up in what? The law of love. Love the Lord God, you know, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said the whole law is summed up in this thing. Love. He, he said it's, he, he brought it back into relational terms, relationship with God and one another. Um, so, you know, that's one thing I just kind of want to put out there as far as looking at, at sin rather than our sins. 
Uh, I read this book uh, by a guy named Ted Peters, and the book was called Sin. Uh, it's a good name for it because that's that's what it was about. And uh, this guy was a long-term pastor and theologian, and uh, he was he wrote the book because he was trying to figure out. He had run into some situations pastorally where he was dealing with radically evil people. He was trying to figure out how they get there. Because you don't wake up one day and you're just radically evil. And, and so he, he wrote this book, and one of the things in this book that he did is he, he saw this progression of our state of sin. And I, I just want to quickly kind of go through that because it's helpful, you know, what I want to deal with here. Uh, but he said it starts with anxiety. That's the first the first thing that happens in our progression towards evil or radical evil. And, and anxiety is just the whole fear of the threat that we're not going to be anymore. You know, that, we're gonna, that we're, we won't exist anymore. Ultimately, that's what we get anxious about. And we don't always realize that. Um, and so it's the ground for our temptation to strike out and diminish or destroy the existence of others even. You know, because we're... We fear the lack of our own existence, and so we even try to lash out at others. And and so so it starts with anxiety, and then how we respond to our anxiety. We we respond really either by faith, or as he uses this term, unfaith, which isn't a word, but it works. Um, and so in this progression, we have anxiety, then we respond with not faith but unfaith, where we don't trust in God and or others. And so when anxiety strikes, we respond, sometimes with things as simple as complaining or uh, gossiping, and then it grows to resentment and then anger and rage and so forth and so on. Uh, And then from the next, uh, we progress on to pride. And this is where we become the source of life, and everything becomes centered around us. We're anxious. We don't respond in trusting God. And so then we begin seeing ourselves as the one that have to fix everything and everything's centered around us and our world. Everything's measured by how it affects us. Um, We begin to think that we're in control of everything. We see ourselves as our source of life and power rather than God. And, you know, one of the best indicators that we're walking in this area of pride, and this is interesting, is that we lack empathy for others. And it kind of makes sense. If everything's around our world, we don't have time to, you know, worry about others or what others might feel. Or, you know, we, we just, we don't have empathy because it's not about us. So why would we spend energy empathizing about somebody else? And we begin developing this inability to experience or appreciate the feelings of others. This one gets me. Because sometimes I honestly am just, I'm too busy. I don't have time. I've got too many important things to do. Uh... It's kind of, oh, you know, somebody else has a problem, you know, who has time for that? Just deal with it, build a bridge, get over it, you know. <laughs> Wah. You know, I like to, Ashley knows I do that all the time. Uh, and then pride begins drawing lines or circles, defining us and them. Ouch. <laughs> you know, there, you know, there's us and we're cool and we've got our act together, and we're all this. And then there's them and all the different kind of groups. Okay, and so then from pride we progress to concupiscence. How many of you have had that lately? Concupiscence? <laughs> Hands for concupiscence. 
Crispin told me not to use this word, and I said, I'm using this word. For those of you who remember the King James Version, it's actually in there. Um, but anyway, it's another word for sensuality. Anybody know what that means? Okay, we got one hand. Good, yeah. Uh, it includes such thing as desire, lust, greed, envy, coveting. It's basically the desire to possess and mostly possess things that we don't possess. It's always what we don't possess that we, we want. It's what we don't have that looks interesting. Uh, it provides the motive for stealing, and it, it's the stimulant, you know, or the impulse to buy. It's the unquenchable fire of wanting and wanting and wanting. And the deception in this whole thing of concupiscence is that it's insatiable. And the, the, the more it doesn't satisfy, the more we want it. And we, we think, well, if I just add more and more and more and more, then at some point we get that satisfaction. I think the Rolling Stones had it right. I just can't get no. What? There you go. All right. Good. Um, and so uh, behind this is the belief that possessing, that possessing things can actually soothe and comfort our anxiety. How many know that's a... That's a lie. <laughs> How many of us keep trying anyway? You know, it's a, well, I just didn't eat enough. Oh, sorry, that's my own problem. But uh, so. so from concupiscence, we progress to self-justification. And this leads to trying to actually possess the goodness that belongs only to God. And here we begin rationalizing our sin, and we convince ourselves that, you know, we're really good, we're okay. Um, and so what we do is we find a scapegoat and we begin blaming our own stuff, our own wrongdoings on other things and we begin to buy into the deception that we're righteous but other people aren't. Uh, we become blind to our own sinfulness but at the same time we easily, easily see the sinfulness of others. Anybody been there? so easy to see the others but we're blind to our own stuff and so this manifests itself also in things like gossip and slander and ultimately leads to so-called self-righteous indignation that justifies hatred even violence against the unrighteous um, the bombing of abortion clinics because somehow we can justify those that are murdering others so therefore we can murder them and we can't see that we're doing things just as bad and our hatred is murder and you see you see the kind of thing that happens and uh, and so from there we progress to cruelty now cruelty is the fruit of self-justification it's a small step from delighting in the suffering of the unrighteous to actually helping cause the suffering of the unrighteous and this is we, we really cross a dangerous threshold at this point um, the, the threshold of conscience and deliberate inflicting of cruelty to others. Um, this cruelty tortures others, and we actually delight in it. And, and the weird thing's going on here. We try to gain our own immortality by stealing life from others. You know, we're no longer, we're cut off in our relationship with God, and so we're not, we're not getting the life we, we need or from the only place of our life where we can get life when we begin stealing it from others. 
And then from there, ultimately, is, is the last uh, progression to blasphemy. Blasphemy is, is this state of radical evil. This is where we've fallen so far relationally that we actually take the things of God and we use them in an intentionally perverted way. One example, actually from a culture around here, which uh, my, my best friend uh, when I was in Hammond, Brother Joe, the black, black guy, and just because we hung out together, we almost got killed, I don't know how many times, from people that just had hatred and prejudice about that. So an ex- example of that would be like the KKK using the symbol of the cross. It's, it's a radical evil, which, of course, distorts and blasphemes the, blasphemes the loving act of sacrifice that, that Jesus you know, died for us in that way. And it takes the very symbols of God and distorts them. And, and of course, there's all kinds of other things with satanic rituals and serial murder things. And so, so anyway, here's this progression. Now, the idea wasn't to make you feel bad about, oh, man, I'm at this stage. If I don't watch that, I'm going to the next stage, you know. And, and you leave here today going, oh, Lord, what am I, you know, I'm, I'm, there's no hope for me. Uh, the point in all this is that it all starts with anxiety. Let's start there, you know. Uh, and even though anxiety includes this experience of stress and worry, it's rooted in something much deeper. It's rooted in our desire to know and to be known. Anxiety is all about uh, our, our stress or, or, or our fear of, of not existing, not being known. And it's so interesting because God made us this way. So that we would want to be, we would want to know and be known by Him, and it would heal that the very thing that where sin originates in our relational estrangement, that not being known, not knowing Him, um, and so it's this fear of non-being, uh, and of course it includes the fear of death, uh, but it's much more than that. Um, I don't know if you, well, actually, I'm sure you have had this experience, but you know how people do things sometimes that make us feel like we don't exist? You know, there's there's this weird thing that goes on inside of us. They reject us or belittle us or treat us like what we have to say or offer is not important. It makes us feel, I mean, there's just that weird, you know, feeling of non-existence inside. But it feels just the opposite when people treat us like we exist, you know. Um, I have this weird experience. I don't know if, I, I know I'm just weird, so maybe it's, I'm probably the only one. But every once in a while, I'll have this experience where I feel like I'm invisible. This used to happen to me when I was pastoring. I'd show up at my church. And I'd walk in, and it's like nobody would say hi. They'd act like I don't even exist. I'm walking around like I'm invisible. And I'd start feeling really insecure, like, what I do, you know? Uh, you know, I'm in a room full of people. But nobody can see me. It's like I don't exist. And it's like I'm in this crowd, but I feel very lonely. Um, and so anxiety arises sometimes out of these types of things where we, we anticipate some sort of diminishment of who we are. And we anticipate that part of us or all of us is, is going to die in some way. Um, uh, and so, you know, so sometimes this whole anxiety thing, it's, it's better understood when we think about it in terms of space and time. Like, uh, sometimes we feel a lot of anxious if we feel like we're, 
we're losing our space. You know, like we're backed into a corner or something like that. Um, uh, and, and we want to like lash out in anger. Or we become full of despair. Uh, and it, it, this is kind of interesting because really we all need a home. We all need a space that's ours for us to feel like we exist. And uh, home is where we exist and feel most ourselves. You have, you have a place where you feel just at home? What's going on? Why do you feel at home? <laughs> uh, some of you maybe have a special room in your house or a special chair. If anybody else sits there, you feel anxious. <laughs> this church hasn't been gone very long, but I guarantee you, some of you sit in the same dadgum seat Every week, and if you came in here and somebody beat you to it and they're sitting in your seat, you know, you just, you, oh, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to worship? We all need this space, you know, that's ours. And we feel safe in that place. Uh, one person said, uh, is, that yours? is that your place back there? And nobody. Oh, yeah, let's see. He knows he's trying to heal that anxiety, you know. Uh, somebody said this. I, I really like this. He said, home is the environment where we exert the least amount of emotional energy minute by minute to sustain our identity. You know, don't you feel at home the most with people that you don't have to do or be anything? You can just exist it's kind of funny how that is, that whole space thing, you know. Uh, but then at the, the opposite of that is where you feel like you've got to expend all this emotional energy with someone because you're not at home yet with them. You don't know them well enough or, you, you know, you're, you, you have to work to be a little bit more around those people. Uh, anyway, we could talk a lot about this, but I probably need to move on. It's time to quit yet? I'm not near done. Oh, my gosh. What time are y'all in at 1? One? 1.30? Ooh, man. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, we all experience these things. I, I was driving over here, and, you know, you, 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 the, the lane merges. Space becomes an important thing. I know not all of you are like me, but I'm going to win the battle every time. You know, and it's kind of like inch, 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 cut, you know, it's kind of like that's my space. Don't, you know. Uh, anyway, you, you get that. The same thing is with time. You know, we, we get stressed about time. Probably even more, there's more anxiety around time. Because what happens when we feel like we run out of time? What are we when we run out of time? <laughs> Dead. <laughs> we might be late. <laughs> the late Doug Anderson, yeah. We're, we're dead. You know, it's kind of like we have this, we're not even aware of it with this anxiety that time is coming to an end. And it works itself out in, in even things like being late to a meeting or, or this, this kind of thing. And so, anyway, I, I could go on and on about that, but we'll move on. Uh, so, anyway, sin is how we respond to our anxiety that happens in all these different ways. Uh, one guy said, anxiety is the internal state of temptation. Um, anxiety is the internal state of temptation. Um, and how we respond to this anxiety determines really whether we sin or not. 
and the reason for that is we either respond in faith or unfaith. When we have anxiety, we either are relationally connected to our source of life so this fear of non-being goes away. Anxiety itself is not sin. It's how we respond. Or if we respond with fear and worry and lack of trust and unfaith. Um, because faith ultimately is trust that God will establish our being. What's the passage, I think, in Acts that says, In him we live and move and have our what? Our being, our very life. Um, you know, the Israelites had anxiety, ultimately, over the fact that God fed them every day. But what did he say about that food? You know, make sure, you know, I'm giving you all this manna every day, bread from heaven. Don't save it till tomorrow. What? It's just like God just like messing with us. Like, why? What is it about God that he will not let us know enough stuff in the future to make us not be anxious today? I told somebody the other day, it just sucks having to live by faith. <laughs> why can't he let us know what's going to happen? Why can't he give us enough? We don't have to worry. Because he's smart. He wants us to live relationally dependent on him, connected. And so with the Israelites, he did this thing. Okay, yeah, here's your food. My dad used to say all the time, I don't know if you, you guys remember this, you know, when he would get worried about money or something like that, God would always speak to him and say, do you have enough for today? And of course he always did. It was what was going to happen tomorrow that he didn't have the answer for, you know, and so we spend all our energy today. And so, uh, so then Jesus says in this passage, you guys have little faith, little trust or unfaith. Don't be anxious about what you eat or drink or wear. The Father knows you need these things. Spend your energy, focus everything you have on the kingdom. And all this kind of stuff, it takes care of itself. In other words, seek first the restoration of your relationship with the king of the kingdom who values you. And we won't have to spend all that energy on worrying about where our life comes from, our very being. Um, so what do we do when we become terrorized by anxiety and the sin that follows now, this is the point where the preacher wants to give you seven steps to overcoming anxiety. I have one. Forget it. You can't. Forget about it. I mean, well, you know, we get anxious about overcoming anxiety. I got to have these steps. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, you can't. There's one step called faith it's trust and we can't even do that on our own the only antidote to anxiety is grace and that's not something we can conjure up or manufacture it's weird how God did that <laughs> the only thing that helps we can't do why do you think he did that so we stay relationally dependent on him 
<laughs> so, uh, one theologian said, in grace, something is overcome. Grace occurs in spite of something that separates us or estranges us. Grace accepts that which had been rejected. Grace reunites life with life. It reconciles the self with itself. It transforms anxiety into courage and guilt into confidence. It took me 15 years as a pastor to, to understand this whole thing of uh, what the gospel was. I know that sounds weird. But up until that point, it was always a, a quid pro quo. If you'll do this, God will do this. If you'll commit more, God will do this. If you, 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 you. And after 15 years of trying to get the church more committed, more this, more this, more that, I was just wasted, burnt out. And then God showed me what the gospel was really about. <laughs> it's weird to say that, I know. And so anybody in our church from then on, they've heard me say, if they've heard me say it once, they've heard me say it a million times, that our righteousness doesn't come by what we do or what we don't do or what we've done or what we haven't done. But it comes through grace by faith in what Jesus did on the cross for us. Period. So stop striving. Stop having anxiety about what you do and what you don't do. Now, now you know, uh, Paul deals with this in, in Romans and other things all the time. It's kind of, so, so therefore, you just go out and live however you want and, and do these lists of sins that we have. We say, well, you know, God forbid. Because when grace happens, there's something that gets transformed in us. But it's an internal transformation. There's an internal empowerment that God does in us. Um, but even though I, I've said that a million times and I believe it, if our relationship with Jesus is reduced down to, oh, he's the one that forgives my sins, we still got sin messed up in our mind. It's still what we do and what we don't do. And Jesus becomes a utilitarian God. He's there just to forgive our sins. But no, there's this wonderful, wonderful, awesome, life-giving relationship with Jesus. There's so much more than about what we do and what we don't do. I mean, all you got to do is think about the prodigal son. You know, grace happened to that guy in a pig pen. He wasn't seeking it. Obviously, what he was doing wasn't, you know, he didn't have seven steps to overcome anxiety and, and how to get grace, you know, by living in a pig pen. Uh, no, he was at the bottom, and then grace met him. But do you notice what happened after that? When grace empowered him and gave him the sense to go back home in humility, when he was, and then his father came running to him, and they were, they embraced and they were united. You notice what didn't happen there? Guilt. The son wasn't like, oh, I've done this. and I've done. I mean, he did say I've done a bunch of things, but it wasn't about what he had done and what he didn't do. What was it about? Yeah, his reconciliation. His estrangement from his father was healed. 
It wasn't like the father said, okay, I forgive you for running with wild women. I forgive you for doing this. I forgive you for squandering my money. I for no, there was a reconciliation. And, and then the picture of the future that they had wasn't like, okay, well, if you'll behave yourself, you can come home. If you do this, this. No, it was a picture of, of enjoying each other's presence. That's what God wants. That's what grace is. But it's really a mystery because we can't make it happen. I can't tell you how it happens. I just know it does. And I just want to close by reading uh, this, this passage out of this sermon from this guy that pre preached this in 1946. But, man, it's, it's, so, it's so pertinent today. He was talking about this whole thing of grace. And he said it this way. He says, do we know what it means to be struck by grace? Grace strikes us when we are in great pain or restless. It strikes us when we are walking through the dark valley of meaninglessness and empty life. It strikes us in those moments when we feel our separation more deeply than usual, perhaps because we have violated another person's life, a person whom we love or from whom we feel estranged. God strikes us when we are disgusted with our own being, our indifference, our weakness, our hostility, our lack of direction. It strikes us when the perfection that we long for in our lives, lives fails to appear, when we realize that old compulsions continue to reign in us just as they have for decades. Sometimes at that moment of despair, a wave of light breaks into our darkness. And it's as though a voice were saying, You are accepted. You are accepted. Accepted by that which is greater than you. And the name of which you do not know. Don't ask for that name now. You'll find it later. Don't try anything now. It's funny. We, even then we try to do something. He said, don't do anything now. Perhaps you will do much later. Don't seek for anything. Don't perform anything. Don't intend anything Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. When grace comes and it invades us at the most unsuspecting time, there's nothing we can do but receive and enjoy the love of the Father who is restoring us in relationship to Him. And a funny thing happens. All, all the stuff on the inside changes. We don't want to do the stuff, you know, it's not about the sins anymore. I mean, it's about the relationship. So Jesus says, so don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be anxious. <laughs> For it gives the Father great happiness to give, you the, to give you the kingdom. And the kingdom's all about Restoring us back to the relationship we had when he created men and women. That wonderful relationship we have. It's the kingdom of God. He delights in that. Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. <laughs> and then then I want to close with one more scripture. And then I, I just want to, I'd like, just like to pray for us. 
I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It was a rest from this anxiousness. It was a lot more than just, Come to me, those of you that are just tired. You've been working too hard. He's talking about this this deep anxiety that just wears you out. He says, Come to me, and I'll give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So let's pray. I just would like the Holy Spirit to come and meet us. God's grace to happen right here. Father, you know our hearts. You know every one of our hearts. You know what we're wrestling with. There's some here today, I'm sure, Lord, that this morning are walking under the heavy, heavy weight of condemnation. Lord, I almost hear you saying today to that person, where are your accusers? I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more because I've restored your relationship with the Father. Lord, there's some that um, are here this morning with a heart full of fear, maybe about the future, about the uncertainty of things to come. Father, send your Spirit to give us rest. Lord, give us a peace that, that goes beyond what we can comprehend or understand. Let your healing come, Lord. There's some here with health issues that, again, where there's so much uncertainty. Jesus, be the source of our life. <laughs> Let us today enjoy the being that you've made us to be. Breathe new life into us, Lord. Lord.